Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight and our topic is 10 unpleasant revelations. What could be, uh, you know, more welcome than that? Um, we'll be talking about the 10 plagues in the uh, land of Egypt. And this is something you've heard me talk about. You've heard me talk about it not that long ago in the series called A Way Forward. Uh, but I learned some new things and gained a new perspective since then that I'm interested to share with you. And one of the things, just to set this up a little bit, was that I always thought that uh, in this deal, if you're familiar with the story, that Moses goes into Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. Maybe you've heard that powerful song, you know, let my people go. And I thought that Moses marched into the palace and said, let my people go. And then there was a plague. And then he marched in and said it in the palace again, let my people go. There's a plague. Three, you know, ten times he says that and there's ten plagues and then they finally let them go and then he chases after them and and uh, and Pharaoh and all the soldiers end up in the Red Sea uh, but that's not what happens I was so surprised to find out that's not actually what happens only six out of the ten times does he say let my people go there's three times that Moses says absolutely nothing there's no exchange with Pharaoh before a miracle happens huh and they come in three sets of three, like the first nine come in three sets of three. And every time the first time, he meets him in the morning, and two of the three times he meets him down by the river, not in the palace, in the morning down by the river, number one, number two in the house, number three says nothing. Then back to the river again, in the morning out by the river, and then in the house, and then says nothing. And then in the morning again, and then in the house, and then says nothing. Just a different, you know, and it's one of the amazing things about Scripture to me. I, I just feel like I'll never graduate from this text, you know. Some movies you get bored after you see them 10 or 12 times, but, but the Scripture doesn't do that, you know. It's still got something in there you didn't notice, and there's lots that I can't figure out about what we're talking about tonight. But there's some interesting stuff that I hope uh, you'll, you'll find as fascinating and uh, even heartwarming, strangely, even though there are 10 unpleasant revelations. There's some heartwarming message in here. And so I hope you'll join me on that journey, good friends. And let's open with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You are the Word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us tonight, Lord, as we open the pages of your Word. Please teach us about your heart and your mind. Amen. Such a blessing to be with you all, all you people who are here in the room, people who are on the phone, people who are getting the audio podcast, and all those of you out there now or at some other time, it's always now for you uh, in internet land, and uh, great blessing to be with you. And uh, so why don't we dive straight into this and just look and see whether that pattern, because I had to go look at it for myself, like, really? You know, did I miss that every time? So let's go have a look. <coughs> what happens here with these plagues is that there's sort of what you might call plague number zero, which is where Moses takes his, his uh, you know, the rod turns into the serpent and the magicians do it and then the serpent eats the other serpents and stuff. We're not going to deal with that one tonight. I call that number zero. Uh, Swedenborg, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, does... Uh, number them differently. He numbers the serpents, number one, and he doesn't number the firstborn at the other end. 
so I'm taking them a little out of order here uh, in, in, uh, in, in terms of the way that Swedenborg numbers them. Uh, another thing I wanted to say was that I could never remember the sequence of these things. For some reason, I just knew there's some flies in there somewhere and there's darkness. I, I forget. Uh, I could never, because the sequence didn't make any sense to me. You know, I just know it's one bad thing after another, which is the story of our lives, isn't it? But, uh, but I didn't know which came in which order, you know? And, um, but uh, there's quite a specific order, and there's certain patterns I hope to show you tonight. Like if, I don't know, if I were doing, if I were writing this story, I might have the darkness first because it seems kind of innocuous or something, and then maybe you work your way down to like the, all the water turns to blood, you know, <laughs> like that would be the big dramatic uh, moment or something. But th no, those go in the completely opposite order. And um, so let's look at this order and try to figure out what's going on here. And uh, uh, oh, let's start at chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, let's start there. So this is when it's, this is after the serpents, but now Moses and Aaron are going to be going into Pharaoh and talking to him. So where's, where does this happen? Exodus 7, verse 14. That's right. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Ah, now you see, there's already been an opportunity, uh, for him to change his mind, just on the basis of the serpents. He's already refusing. So before we even get to plague number one, he's already refusing. Let me get my graphic out right now, if I may. I've just got a little list here of, uh, and if you're just getting the audio, it just says water to blood, then frogs, then lice, then flies, then pestilence, then boils, then hail, then locusts, then darkness, and then the firstborn. And I've got those broken into three sets of three because it goes the morning, the house, and then none of the above. Morning, house, none of the above. Morning, house, none of the above. And in between each line, I have a green arrow. And maybe I'll explain a little more in a bit what that means. But we already saw the first green arrow, which is before you even get the first plague of the water to blood, there's, always a, there's already, he could have let them go. You know, like the arrow is when he could have turned and done the right thing. So there was already a chance. So he's already refused, and that's what starts this, this process here. Uh, and this process, as I understand it, is a worst case. This is what happens to people who have been abusing the good repeatedly. Uh, this may not be exactly the same process for everybody. I think there is a certain order in it. But this is a worst-case scenario, and Pharaoh's stubbornness is a worst-case scenario because he could have exited nine or ten times from this thing, and he hung in there right, right to the bitter end. And I believe the whole process uh, is about trying to turn Pharaoh around. And if he won't turn around, then it's at least making clear that's his choice. You know. Um, okay, let's look here. So keep going there in 7.15. Okay, so this is the Lord saying to Moses, Go to Pharaoh in the morning. In the morning. When he goes out to the water. Ah, when he goes out. When he goes out to the water. Okay, and the water being the River Nile, that he would apparently go down there in the morning, which just sounds like a nice sort of a 
ritual, you know, go, go down by the river's edge first thing in the morning. It's a nice little peaceful time. And uh, what's, what's Moses supposed to do? And you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. Uh-huh. So that's, that's what the water means. It's the river. It's the water in the river Nile. It'll go meet him down there by the Nile. That's right. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Aha. And then we get uh, the next, you know, the first plague. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. I might have saved that till the end, but we're leading with that. Okay, we'll lead with the waters to blood. Okay, go on. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Yes, uh, go on. Let's just read a little more here. It's so delightful. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. Now that is a pretty thorough list, I would say. Right? The rivers, the streams, the ponds, even the sort of little reservoirs or little ponds, you know, things that they've made for themselves, the pools of water. And all of that is going to become blood. Okay? And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. Mm. The fish that were in the river died, mm. the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Mm. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And I, a couple of points here. Okay, so the magicians of Egypt managed to do the same thing Moses and Aaron did. But first of all, how much of the water had already been turned to blood? Was it some? Or was it all? There wasn't really any more water. What, did they have to bring it out of the house or something? You know, uh, <laughs> whoop-de-doo, well done. You know, the, the, everything's already blood. And how is it, like, this is a curse. You're sort of doubling down on it, <laughs> you know? Like, the miracle you should be doing now if you're an Egyptian magician is turning the blood back to water. That would have been a good trick. But just turning more non-existent water to blood is not actually all that impressive. But there you go. Go on. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And just, I want to make one little point. Uh, I don't think we'll have to hammer this tonight. But, but uh, you probably are familiar with the phrase that says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. A lot of people wonder... <coughs> What is the Lord doing hardening Pharaoh's heart? Well, I haven't counted them this time. I just remember from some other time I counted them that I think that Pharaoh hardens his own heart eight times before the Lord is ever said to harden 
his heart. And sometimes it goes back and forth. But Pharaoh leads with like many, many, you know, Pharaoh does it many, 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 many times. And then toward the end, the Lord, the Lord does it. Uh, so it just seems like an important point. Okay, go on. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Oh, he did what? He went into his house. Oh, he went into his house. So this whole time he's down there by the river in the morning. That's where this whole thing took place. So plague number one is in the morning and it's by the water. And then he goes into his house. Neither, okay. neither was his heart moved by this. Hmm. Yes. Yep. But it probably should have been. Like I have a green arrow after that. Water to blood should have, you know, he had an option of turning it around at that point. And the text seemed almost, you know, the Lord had said he's not going to change his mind. But it's still like kind of astonishing that he didn't respond <coughs> even when all the water in the whole, it's quite a card to lead with. You know, all the water in the entire nation turns to blood. You can't drink it. Look what happens in verse 24 because you can't drink it. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. Yeah, right. They're all getting terribly, terribly thirsty because of that. And, and then seven days and go seven by. seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. That's right. And then we get to the next one. And some of these we'll have to fast forward a little bit, but have a look at 8 verse 1 there. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. And as far as we can tell from the text... Pharaoh's still in his house. He went to his house. He's in his house. And that's where the discussion takes place. Um, you know, go to Pharaoh, it says there. And down in verse 12, what do we read there? Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. Yes, you see, they were inside. They were in the house. They went to Pharaoh where he was in his house. And then they went out of the house. So the second time was in the house. So let's back up a little bit. And what is going to happen this time? Verse 2. If you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. Mm. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly. Ah, so these are not land frogs. These are not tree frogs. These are river frogs. So we're still in kind of rivery territory, aren't we? Like all the water turned to blood and now the water is going to bring forth these watery frogs. Okay? Which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, <laughs> on your people, into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. Sounds mildly unpleasant. And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people and on all your servants. Okay, so we started with the whole water system is going to be shot, but now it's going to be frogs and they are going to be everywhere in your kneading bowl, in your house, in your bed, every, you know, they're, they're going to be all in the house. The other was just the water, which is outside somewhere, you know, the streams and the pools and so on. But this is getting a little deeper here. Okay, and so the Lord says to Moses to stretch out and to do that. And again, in verse 7, the magicians do the same thing with theirs. Congratulations, you created even more frogs. You know, they're not, they're not hitting that out of the park. But uh, okay, and then, um, 
And then Pharaoh says in verse 8, oh, take away the frogs, you know, have the Lord take away the frogs and I'll let the people go. And then Moses says, you know, humor me, what time do you want this to happen? He says, well, how about tomorrow? Okay, 10 a.m., it's good for you? Okay, it's good for me? All right, I'll take away the frogs at the exact time of your choosing. And so uh, that's what they do. And astonishingly, in verse 13, what's the first words of verse 13 there? So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. Doesn't that seem a little the wrong way around to you? The Lord did according to the word of Moses. Don't, doesn't Moses do according to the word of the Lord? Wow. Wow. Moses said, here's how it should work. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And then guess what happens? You know, they gather all the frogs together in heaps. The land stinks. It's already quite a stinky process so far. And when Pharaoh saw that the problem was solved, he hardened his heart again. So he had another chance to get over it here, um, but he, he, didn't, he didn't take that. And then look at this. This is what I'm arguing. See, number three here, I submit that there's no exchange between Moses and Pharaoh. What happens here in verse 16? So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land, so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. So where's the let my people go? Doesn't say it. No exchange whatsoever. They're not in the same room. You know, it's just like, just do it. So some of them, he says, let my people go, and then here's what's going to happen if you don't. They have all this exchange. But some of them are just like, poof, lice. Here you go. You know, with no, with no interchange. It's fascinating. Okay. And so they did so, and it became lice all over everywhere and all over people and animals. And, verse 18, sort of fun. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice. Again, they're a but, little dim. But know, they could not. not but they couldn't do it. So there were lice on man and beast. And I like this little verse next here. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Yeah, because they couldn't, they couldn't do it. It's like, we're out of our league here. This is something bigger than we can deal with. But Pharaoh's heart is still nonetheless hardened. And uh, now, look at verse 20. Am I right that we're restarting this cycle? So we did those three in the morning, and then the house, and then nothing. And are we going to go back to the morning? Look and, at verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Oh, now wait. The first time, where was it? Where was it? 7 verse 15, it's when he goes out to the water. This time it's when he comes out to the water. I don't know what the difference is, but it's fascinating. Okay. So, but then, it's still the water, and it's still first thing in the morning. Rise up early in the morning, and he's coming to the water. Then say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of, of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Okay, so this is going to be uh, even more like the frogs came up out of the water and then made their way into the houses. But these lice are going to be in everybody. I mean the flies, I'm sorry. The flies will be in everybody's houses, right? They'll be all over the whole land. But this is the first time where it says in verse 22 
that the Lord is going to make a distinction between where the children of Israel are in the land of Goshen, that they won't suffer this same thing. So it didn't say that in these first three, but now in the flies, it's going to be different in Goshen. Am I right? Is that what that says there? Um, 22. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. Yeah. And so this happens. Here comes all the swarms of flies. And then they have a big debate about will he go? Will he not go? And um, and Pharaoh says, you know, he's pleading with them. And Moses says, I'll entreat the Lord in verse 29 that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, but don't deal deceitfully with us. And so Moses went out and he entreated the Lord. And in verse 31, what happened? And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. Wow, this guy's good. That's amazing. The Lord is doing Moses' will, it seems like. And he removed these swarms of flies and there remained not a single one. And guess what Pharaoh does? He hardens his heart. So he should have had another opportunity there after the flies to get out. And that was in the morning by the river. Now, is the next one going to be in the house? Can we tell? It's a little subtle in the verb here, but look at 9 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh. Go into Pharaoh, not down by the river. Go in, you know, into his house where he is. Go into Pharaoh. And what should he say to him? And tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, mm. behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. Okay, now friends, <coughs> I would submit that the number one, the water to blood, and number two, the frogs, were very water-based. I mean, the first one, just all, all the water. And then the second one is the frogs would come out of the water and go into the houses and everything. But the flies and this pestilence, or whatever you want to call it, seem more land-based to me. Like there's nothing particular about water in it. It's that there will be flies everywhere through all the houses and all these cattle, right? All, the, all these flocks and everything, they will be uh, subject to this pestilence, this disease of some kind. It lists the horses and the donkeys, the camels, the oxen, the sheep, and a very grievous disease. Again, it says in verse 4 that there's going to be a difference between the Israelite cattle and the Egyptian cattle. And the Lord is going to do all this tomorrow. And then all the cattle in verse 6. Am I wrong? What happens? All the cattle die? So the Lord did this thing on the next day and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Okay. So I would innocently take that to mean that all the cattle died. Like there was no cattle remaining. Okay. All right. And uh, but... And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there wasn't, none of the Israelite cattle, you know, had died. And the heart of Pharaoh was hard, and he didn't let people go. Now, look at number eight. Are we still in this cycle of mourning, and then into the house, and then nothing, no exchange? <coughs> this time, Pharaoh sees it, but there's no verbal exchange. There's no let my people go. That's what I'm arguing. Okay, nine, verse eight. 
What does it say? So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. Now the first time with the lice, Pharaoh wasn't even in the picture. He, they, they just did it. This time Pharaoh's going to see it, but there's no verbal exchange that I can see in here. And just, just go do it. No, no talk about it. No, let my people go. No, this is a consequence for this or that, the other thing. Just do it. So verse 9. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt. Now, wait a second. One, two, three was lice. And what turned into lice? Dust. It was dust that turned into lice. Four, five, six, it's ashes from the furnace that turn into dust that turn into boils. You know, some sort of pattern going on in here. What does it mean? I probably won't be able to tell you. Okay, but it's fascinating. Okay, go on. It, it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Yeah, that's right. So that's what's going to happen there. <coughs> and so he does, in verse 10, stand before Pharaoh. He sprinkles it, and it becomes... But there's no, let my people go. There's no discussion. It's not, this is a consequence for this, or if A, then B, or anything. It's just, do it. Boils. You know, bring on the boils. And 11, how are the magicians doing? And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. Yes, and this was opportunity, perhaps number seven, to straighten up and fly right. And what does Pharaoh do? But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. So finally, I think this is where the Lord starts hardening his heart because he's hardened his own heart plenty of times already by now. But the Lord hardens his heart and he doesn't listen just as the Lord had told Moses was going to happen. Okay. All right. We're going to start the cycle again. 9 verse 13. <coughs> then the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning. I will be darned. Look at that. Rise up early in the morning. And stand before Pharaoh. Doesn't say the river, but it says stand before Pharaoh early in the morning. Okay, um, And say to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart mm. and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Wow. So we're down here in the third round, aren't we? Like we had water to blood frogs, lice was the first three, and then flies, pestilence, boils was the second three. Now we're starting the third three, and he says, this is going to get to the very heart, he said, right? He went in the morning and, and told him that. Go on. Mm. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Weird. Now, my name will be declared in all the earth. And you could just take this literally as his name. You know, he's, he's getting a lot of uh, marketing out of this or whatever, a lot of, you know, public awareness or something. But name, Swedenborg says, means quality. So somehow his quality will be known. Now, what quality... Is it a is he mean? You know what what quality? Let's think about that in a little bit. File that away. That his name. So this is going to strike to the heart, and my name will be declared through all the earth. 
17. As yet you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go. Right. So this was like pride on <laughs> Pharaoh's part. And so what does the Lord say? Behold, tomorrow about this time, I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock. Wait, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you have any livestock? They all died. Didn't they all die in a previous plague? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Go on. Send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field. For the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and they is not brought home. They all died already. I'm sorry. But okay, go on. Mm -hmm. And they shall die. Yes. And go on. He who feared the words of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. I don't know where these livestock came from, but okay. Yeah, it makes you wonder if there were years in between. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Yes, that's right. Okay, and so there's this tremendous hail. And look at this detail in verse 23. What goes along with the hail? And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground. Yes, the Lord... in the old King James, it actually says this bizarre thing that fire ran along the ground. I didn't look at the Hebrew to try to uh, try to figure out which was correct, whether it came down or whether it ran along the ground. But there's fire that goes with this hail, okay? Mm -hmm. And it rained down upon the land of Egypt. And it was very grievous, unlike anything they'd ever experienced before. And it struck everything. Every herb, man and beast broke every tree. But in the land of Goshen, they were okay. And so Pharaoh said, oh, I've sinned. Tell the Lord to stop the hail. And so Moses said, when I go, you know, I'll stop it. And then you'll know that the earth belongs to the Lord. But he said, I know that you won't yet fear the Lord. And <coughs> it's all terribly fascinating. But um, uh, Moses stretched out his hands in verse 33. And the hail stopped. And he hardened his heart. There's Pharaoh hardening, still hardening his own heart, and he wouldn't let the children of Israel go. Okay, so in 10, now that was chapter 10, I mean, verse 1, but that was hail. So as, as far as this numbering goes, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 was the hail. So now we're about to get the locust. Is this going to be in the house? What does it say in 10 verse 1? This little detail that I missed always before. Now the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh. Go into Pharaoh. That's the how. You know, go in, not first thing in the morning down by the river or wherever. Go into Pharaoh and say these things. And he says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? Let my people go in verse 3. And what happens if not? Verse 4. Or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. Now, you could almost be excused for thinking <laughs> that, uh, you know, it would be forgivable to think that the Lord actually wanted Pharaoh to let his people go. And he keeps seeming to do this. Like if he just wanted to torment Pharaoh, why not just pile these one on top of the other like a good disaster movie would, you know? Don't relent. Don't take away the lice. Don't stop the flies. But the Lord's name is going to be declared through all the earth. 
and his name is that he's merciful and he's trying to turn Pharaoh around. So his point is not to torture him, is to try to see what's his breaking point. You know, what's the point at which he's going to be willing to turn it around and just keep going. It's possible that you could have said before the water to blood, you said, you know what, you're right. So there have been many exits here off this little process. It's not just like you're going through a chipper or something. You know, you, there's, there's lots of outs along here. Uh, but Pharaoh keeps bravely hanging in there and taking his country through more and more disaster. And now there are going to be locusts. And what is this going to be like? They shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left which remains to you from the hail. Which sounded pretty much like there wasn't anything. <coughs> but still, even if there's anything left from the hail, the locusts are going to get it. Okay? And they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. Those were already broken in a previous plague. And it's going to be really terrible, unlike anything you've ever seen. And Pharaoh's servants even start begging Pharaoh to let, you know, let the people go. And then so Pharaoh starts dickering, as we've talked about before, about who should go. And they do that dickering for quite a long time. And then finally, when it's such destruction, down in verse 15, uh, the locusts are up over the whole area and they're just eating any green thing throughout all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh finally says, look, I've sinned, you know, forgive me. This is not language that you've heard from Pharaoh before. I've sinned. Please take away this death. And so Moses does take it away. And in verse 19, what happens? And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. Yeah, so he doesn't leave the locusts in place. They are, it said every, all the lice, all the flies, not one fly remains. You know, it's all taken away. But the Lord Pharaoh hardened, hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's what I'm trying to say. And he didn't let the people go. So where we are in the pattern, he went out to him in the morning and threatened hail, and that happened. And then he went into his house and threatened the locusts, and that happened. So this next one, to follow the pattern, should be no dialogue between the two, right? Let's see what happens. Uh, verse 21. <coughs> then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, and there may be, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. No, let my people go. No dialogue, no threatening, no river, no house. Just do it. Boom. Third time. Fascinating, isn't it? Morning house, just do it. Morning house, just do it. Morning house, just do it. Okay, go on. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. In their dwellings. Interesting. Yeah, they, they had light, but everybody else was in a terrible darkness. And so they have another exchange about all this. And uh, Pharaoh says, get away from me. You'll see my face no more. And verse 29, Moses says, yes, you've well spoken. I won't see you anymore. And, uh, and then there's the striking of the firstborn. And when does this happen in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 4? 
Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt. Yes, and you can tell when you get all the way down, they describe how this is going to be the firstborn of all the humans, of all the animals in the land, even though we've gotten rid of the animals twice now, I think. But, uh, uh, and he was talking to Pharaoh, Moses was all this time, because look at the end of verse 8. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out and all the people who follow you. After that, I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. Yes, Moses went out in a great anger. Yeah, and so, but Lord Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh, I can't say it. Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Bad not to be able to say that in an evening like this. And uh, and then the... the uh, curse of the firstborn happened and they send them packing and another detail that I never saw before let's just look at it briefly uh, in chapter 12 verse 31 this is after all the firstborn have died and there's this great cry throughout Egypt then Pharaoh finally calls Moses and Aaron it's the first time it's gone the other way then he called for Moses and Aaron by I night yeah. and said rise Go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. And also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And another detail that I had missed before is in verse 33. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. Yeah. So it wasn't just Pharaoh who finally kicked them out. It was all the people that, you know, it wasn't just Pharaoh. Pharaoh kicked them out in verse 31. All the people kicked them out in verse 33. And so uh, they were all, you know, they were driven out from there. And the Egyptians gave them jewelry and, and uh, wealth of various different kinds on their way out. Okay. So should be easy to talk about this. Um, it's a little bit, is it not, friends, like this three sets of three. You know, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, with this pattern of the morning, the house, and none of the above, morning, house, none of the above, reminded me a little bit of the book of Revelation, where you have three sets of seven. You have the seven seals that are opened. You have the seven trumpets that sound, and then you have the seven bowls or vials that are that are poured out. And when you look at the book of Revelation, as Swedenborg points out, I think there's darkness in there. There's certainly water turning to blood. There are flies, there are frogs, there are, you know, like all the same stuff comes up in that three, you know, three sets of seven. And here there's three sets of three about this kind of process. I was also thinking about um, two things from the crucifixion. One that in the crucifixion at the, that the end of the story, right? There's darkness over the land for three hours. It's interesting that this whole story kind of ended with darkness now in, in point nine before the death of the firstborn and in point number 10. And um, the fact that there's let my people go, let my people go, but then silence, you just do something. Let my people go, let my people go, and then silence, just do something. Let my people go, let my good people go, silence. Um, it was reminiscent to me of the Lord's silence going through the crucifixion. There's times where he's very active and talking and doing things. 
but there's times where he's silent. Uh, I don't know if it aligns, but they're talking about similar things spiritually, a kind of a judgment. Uh, all three of those stories, the crucifixion, the book of Revelation, and this here in Exodus. Um, okay, uh, go to the middle of your book, just to read something outside of Exodus here, to the Psalms. I want to go to Psalm 90. And let's just read verses 7 and 8, another pair of feel-good verses here. <laughs> For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. And here it is. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. Yes. That's a phrase that came to mind in connection with this Bible study tonight, and I hope to tell you why. Uh, you've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your face. You see, what I think is going on here is that this is, Moses represents an increased presence of the Lord. That's what does all this. And when the Lord is more present, then our secret sins are revealed. I called this 10 unpleasant revelations because I think these are revelations. They look like they're just sort of curses or plagues or something. But the way that Swedenborg explains them is that they are just pointing out a truth. They're actually the truth. And they might be a truth that Pharaoh wasn't even aware of. You see, I don't know whether you worry about such things. I hope you don't, good friends. But uh, I've read a little too much Swedenborg. And Swedenborg talks a little too much about it being an honest world after death and that a lot of people who go to that other world are kind of shocked and surprised by what's inside their hearts and minds. You know, they make this protest of, no, I'm a good person, you know. And the angel says, oh, no, you're not. Um, you know, it's just, it's a painful sort of process to think, wow, are we, am I going to go to the other side and they're going to say, oh, look, look, you're really this horrible thing. Well, actually, that's where part of the mercy, which is the Lord's name, is that the Lord reveals these things and he reveals them in stages and gives you a chance to get over it. So this is actually a blessing, what he's doing. Pharaoh's not interested, he's not buying, but the Lord is putting it out there to say, Pharaoh, I want to meet you first thing in the morning. I don't know, that means various different things, but um, I think one thing that may mean, it's all the way down by the water, which is the lowest point, whereas his house was probably up, you know, if there's a hill there or something, you know, it's probably at a high point of land. And so I think it's all the way down, it's first thing in the morning, and aren't people a little softer sometimes in the morning don't they say if you're doing a drug and alcohol intervention catch them first thing in the morning you know that we're a little nicer that time of day and uh so moses starts by trying to get him first thing in the morning you know just when he's in a good mood down by the river and say hey look there's a little problem here the way i interpret this is that what the lord is saying is that i need you to know i know you think you're king of this fabulous territory with all this wonderful water but actually, I need to point out to you that all your water is actually blood. What that means is that all the teachings that you have in your mind, <clears throat> see, I think these first two are all about water, and I think they're about your mind. They're on the side of truth or the you know, mind and thought and things like that. That everything that you're thinking is not 
true. Those teachings have been twisted. Well, that's a blessing in a way because like you don't want to just be out of skew and you didn't even know it. I mean, we can lie to ourselves all day long. We can be in massive denial or whatever. It's nice that the Lord is able to say, look, I want to show you something. I just want to reveal this through my presence that your water is actually blood. How do you feel about that? Now, you have the option of saying, I'm not at all happy about that. Tell me what to do about it. You notice in every one of these miracles, the Lord has the power to take it away. It's just as impressive that he can get rid of every fly, you know, all the disease and all the locusts and everything. There's not one left. He has the power to take this away. He's showing you, you have a problem and I can help you with it. I can take that away for you, but I need you to know that this is going on with you. And I think the morning and down by the river has to do with the outside, somehow our exterior, and then the house up on the hill is the inside. It always says he goes into Pharaoh, you know, like literally in, inside his mind or something. You know, uh, the, the, the house, what, what lies inside there? So the truth that you've got in the outside of your mind is actually falsified. A lot of the things that you hold dear and think are correct are not correct and they're not helping you, you know? And the Lord wants to point that out and say, hey, do you want some help? I can help you deal with that. Your magicians can do nothing but create more blood, but I can actually turn it back the other way. I can turn your water to wine. I can do good things here. And with the frogs, I think the frogs have to do with these evils that come out of having, you know, when you have bad teachings, you're prone to evils. Like one sort of classic example is if you truly believed, if you really bought with all your mind that the way that you live makes absolutely no difference since Jesus was resurrected, you're pretty vulnerable to doing whatever you feel like doing. You know, that's a frog that comes out of that water. You know, that's bad water. And I need to tell you something else. So you got, you got bad water on the outside of you and that can lead to frogs inside. Where do the frogs get? Right in your bed, right? I mean, they're, they're on the inside, right? The frogs are coming out of that water. In other words, that bad teaching is causing you to have evils in your heart, inside your house, in your bed, in your kneading, you know, the things that you're trying to do for others, in your kneading bowls and, and all that stuff. Uh, it, would you like to do something about that? I can help you with that. I can get rid of it. You notice every time Pharaoh says, get rid of it, but I'm not going to stop abusing good people. <laughs> you know, thank you very much, but I'm not going to stop. And so the third time, so I think what this means, you know, is like there's the outside of your mind, water to blood, inside of your mind, the frogs. And then there's sort of like, look, this is a whole picture of what's going on with your mind. The lice, the dust is something infernal. It's an image in scripture of something infernal. It's, all, it's not good, healthy soil or nice dirt or something or loam, some rich loam. It's just fragmented, dry, useless dust. And the dust turns to lice. Now, where are lice? They're on the surface of you, right? I just remember so fondly the feeling of having them wriggling across my head. They're, they're just delightful. And uh, so lice are on the surface. So this profane dust is saying, look, this, look, this is what the outside of your mind is like. And I'm going to show this to you in stages because actually that's the merciful way to do it. I could have just, 
shone a divine light on you and just horrified you. But I'm going to show you in pieces. Even though it sounds dramatic, all the water is blood. It says, no, let's just start with the water. That's just over there. But your water has a problem. Now I want you to show you how you've got frogs and they're even in, in, your, in your bed. You've got lusts. You've got things going on in your bed that are, that, are, that are not right. And they're a result of that bad teaching. And so your mind, it, it, you know, you, you have lice. You, you have mental lice. Uh, now, I can fix it. And Pharaoh says, yeah, fix it, but I'm not going to change. <laughs> you know? And that's not the fix it that the Lord had in mind. So then the Lord turns to the heart. Then he turns to the heart. Because these next ones are about the land, right? Flies all in your land. So this was sort of a watery thing up here. And this was lice. What's the difference between lice and boils? Lice is on the surface. Boils erupt, you know, right? They're, they're bubbling out, outwards, from, right? The, the, the boils are coming out from inside. And so this is a more interior series, and it's about the heart, I think. And the flies have to do with the external state. Just making it up. How am I doing? But flies have to do with the, with the outside condition of, of, your, of your heart. Because didn't it say that the flies were in all the houses and in all the land, which generally has to do with the will and the, your emotional state and things like that. You've got flies all through there. And then there's a pestilence. I think this is the inward level of it. And what is the pestilence predominantly on? It's on all those animals. The animals, like before we had all the fish dying up here with, you know, plagues one and two, uh, plague one in particular. But now in plague five down here in the pestilence, the animals are dying. Animals have to do with our emotions and particularly our positive emotions and it has a whole list of them there doesn't it and they're all the good animals they're the types of animals that they were allowed to sacrifice you know the, the the sheep and the oxen and the horses and so on and all that there's going to be a pestilence on all that because in other words this is a re they're they're 10 unpleasant revelations but they're coming one by one and the lord's saying well you've you know if you still refuse to be helped i've got to point out to you that this thing has actually gotten into your heart. Like your emotions are wrong. You're having the wrong feelings. You know, those, those animals are dead. They don't have spiritual life in them. And so to tell you what the whole picture is with your heart is that you got, you got boils that are erupting on the surface from the bad stuff that's inside you. So these are revelations of here's... Now, these are people who are abusing the good. These are nasty people, you know. But I think it's some sort of a hint of what people go through. And it's reassuring that even if you were that horrible and you kind of didn't realize it, it would be pointed out to you. And it would be pointed out to you one by one with an exit. If you choose, every single time, before you even start, there's an exit. And there's an exit here, another one, another one, another one, between every stage of this. You can get out. So you say, you realize that there's boils erupting from it. It's not just lice on you. There's boils in you that are coming out to the surface. Just a lovely topic, isn't it? And then uh, the last three, the hail, the locusts, and the darkness, uh, Swedenborg describes, you see, it mentions words in there. We didn't read all of it, but it mentions the field. 
a lot. It's like the hail is smashing everything that's out in the field. It's smashing the cattle and the trees and things like that. So again, it's sort of, this is, sort of, this is a summary. So your mind has an exterior problem, it has an interior problem. And, this is, and as a result, you have spiritual lice. You know, your heart has a fly problem, it has a pestilence problem, and therefore you have spiritual or heavenly boils or something. And um, then the land, generally in the field, because they're images of cultivation, they have to do with what Swedenborg calls the church, which is um, just your spirituality. It's the way that you live your life, your love of the neighbor and, and your love of God and all that kind of thing. That uh, this is an even deeper series, and you can kind of tell when you read through there, because it really cranks it up about this is the worst hail that the land has ever seen. It's destroying everything in the whole nation. And hail is frozen water, right? Now, there is that fire that runs down to the ground or along the ground or wherever the fire goes, but there's, there's hail, and that hail is like, that's falsity. That's another image of falsity. So, in general, your whole situation, which should be made of truth in your mind and love in your heart, guess what? You know, you've got a hail spiritually, a, a falsity that's destroying everything that has to do with a religious or spiritual life in you. You may feel like you're doing great. I think Pharaoh may have thought he was, hey, I'm on top of the world. I'm the king and the most powerful nation on earth, blessed with all kinds of wisdom. The Lord is saying, well, no, you've, you've actually got this, this hail going on. And again, uh, the morning, I think, is about the, uh, the outside and then the house is, is the inside uh, of this level. I think it's all-encompassing. I've been trying to figure out exactly how it works, but I think the hail has to do with the fact that falsity is smashing all your good emotions. It's, it's smashing all the trees, all the perceptions that you have. Everything good in your mind is being destroyed by the hail. And then when it sounds like that's all-encompassing, then it goes to the interior, to the house, into the house and says, uh, there are locusts. These are revelations, unpleasant revelations. And the locusts eat everything that the hail didn't get, right? So it's like the hail is that total destruction of your mind. The locusts are the total destruction of your heart. This is why it makes sense. Like, I love this about Scripture. Scripture, on the face of it, just read literally, the cattle die approximately three times in this story. You know what I mean? Each cow, it imagines a croak three times over. Uh, you keep, so, you know, what do you mean? There's no trees left. Oh, but there's more trees. And the book of Revelation does the same thing. You know, uh, there's darkness over the whole land. And then also everything is turned to darkness. And then a third of the sun is smit. So it's, it's some, somehow you end up with five thirds of the, you know, of the sun is destroyed or so, you know, just stuff that makes no mathematical sense. And, um, but it makes spiritual sense because it's talking about, you know, the animals here and the animals here, you know, it's talking about somewhat different levels. This is really at the deepest level here that your whole sort of truth system is shot. It's full of falsity and is very destructive falsity. Where you are is a very bad place to be. I urge you to get out of there. I would like to help you, says the Lord. You know, I would really like to help you. My whole thing is just trying to help you. You know, let my people go. 
and um, you know, stop bothering my people and why don't you join us like a lot of the Egyptians do that go off with the children of Israel and, and into the wilderness to worship the Lord. And then the locusts are just eating up everything. It's more of an image to me about um, the heart or the emotional side or something. The hail just sort of physically comes down, it's hard and it bangs into stuff and destroys it. But the locusts are just consuming it all just eating everything that's left, which didn't sound like there was anything, but it's destroying it. And therefore, in some ways, when you get down there after reading all this, now the darkness is just chilling, you know. Darkness is like lights out. You got nothing. You went all the way back through the days of creation to the without form and void, you know, like the, there's no light. You went all, you devolved all the way backwards to the point where there's total darkness and it says three days, that's just like a complete state where they, they're just hunkered down in their houses and there's utter darkness. And it's a picture of everything having to do with religion, spirituality, heaven, the church, love of the neighbor, love of God, you know, all that stuff is completely destroyed <coughs> and paralyzed and you're in utter darkness. In darkness, you can't do, <clears throat> you can't go anywhere, you can't help anybody, you know, you're just paralyzed. Everybody just stays at home, it said. And then, how deep is this when it hits the firstborn? The firstborn of every family and of every, or even the animals, you know. And that happens at midnight. There's been these conversations in the morning, in the morning. But now it's sort of revealed, oh no, you are, you're, you're, at, you're at midnight here. You missed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten opportunities to get out of this process. I gave you 10 warnings. I've given you lots of, lots of warnings. But now I've got to show you that this is, this is killing everything you, you hold dear. This is, this is very bad. Um, so I don't know what that does for you folks, but, but one thing that that makes me think about is just the sheer amazingness of Scripture. It looks on the surface like a weird story and you wonder did it really and did they really and did these people and why do the magicians doing this or that but when you dig into it there's this order in there i've said this analogy before good friends but i felt it again getting ready for this bible study i feel like a two-year-old watching ping pong i have no idea what's going on no they don't they don't i don't i don't know who's winning who's losing i can see there's a game going on there's the white thing that goes back and forth and there's a net or something, you know, I have no idea what's going on, but you can feel an order in it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that there's some kind of order in here and something's going on. And through eternity, we can try to figure out more and more about what those things are, why that's the perfect image. You know, the fly is such a perfect image for that or why it's the locusts and the hail and the darkness, why it's the morning in the house and the not say anything. And and all that. And I think the not say anything, that's why I say it's sort of an all-encompassing revelation. Like I'll show you the inside, I'll show you the outside, I'll show you the inside. I'm, we're not even going to talk about it. Boom, lice. You know, like it's just a revelation of that this is the condition that you're in as to your mind. And I think that's why there's no talking before the lice and the boils and the darkness, because it's just a, a revelation of the, of the total state. The other, so there's the amazingness of Scripture which is good fun, but even more important than that to me, this is, he said, my name, because this process, my name will be declared throughout all the earth. 
The Lord's name is his quality of love and wisdom. These are people who've been abusing the good for a long time. You know, this is how the Lord treats abusers. This is what he does. He takes them through a 10-stage process. And at every point, he says, are you really attached to this or would you like to get out? This is the damage this is having on you. You want to get out? How about now? Is this too much? Is this too costly for you? Or you want to keep going? You know, this is what he does with the worst people. It's just astonishing. Astonishing. And there are people who, you know, flunk the whole test. I mean, they, they make the choice. There are pharaohs who go all the way through and say, no, I'm not, you know, great that you can take all that stuff away, but I'm really not interested in giving up the abuse. This is what I love, you know? This is what I love. So I'm going to just stick with it. Um, but there's many, 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 many opportunities to get out. So it is not going to happen to us, friends, that we go to the other side and then you suddenly find, say, oh, oh, it turns out I'm in hell. I had, oh, I didn't know. You know, it's not going to happen like that. Uh, if we get to hell, we're going to have to be really determined, put your heart into it, you know, strive at it, turn down every opportunity. You know, I'm telling you, if that's where you want to go, give it the old college try, you know, really try to resist the Lord at every stage here until you finally come off the bottom of this process. Eventually, I think the Lord hardening the heart is like, I can see this is where you're going. So I, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll help you here and I'll still have a place for you, prepare a place for you, um, you know, I'll, I'll still deal with you and everything like that. The Lord's love never ceases, never stops. But this is kind of a processing, it's a judgment that he puts people through. And it looks on the face of it, like, whoa, fire and brimstone. Wow, God is crazy. He's angry. He's so mad. It took me so long to realize that this is the Lord's love for Pharaoh, you know. He's reaching out to the Egyptians through this whole thing. It's just astonishing to me and giving so many opportunities to change around and showing in a more <laughs> nuanced way than I'd realized before. I just thought it was a lump of 10 things in a row. But I see more like, oh, no, there's a whole process to this thing. There's a whole script, and the Lord knows that whole script and, and gives an opportunity every single time uh, to, to, to not harden your heart, you know, to realize, oh, I've been a fool. Swedenborg tells these beautiful stories in the, the New Century Edition volume of Other Planets is just about to come out in a couple of weeks, and there's a beautiful story in there of these, these spirits who had lived their whole lives in the physical world just caring about nothing but their land and their animals and their greatest delight was to steal stuff for other people, especially food, and just eat it. The, great, the highest good is to eat stolen food, you know. How mature is that, you know? <laughs> that, that was their life. But they go to the other world and some of these people are willing to be helped and they go through painful, difficult experiences. And then they're lifted up to heaven and they're so happy and they're so grateful. The Lord can just do wonders with people through this kind of a loving, wise, let me show you. I'm not going to keep you in the all the water is blood thing. I'll just show that to you. Then we'll pull that back. Then I'll show you the frogs. Then I'll pull it back. Then I'll show you the lice. 
bit by bit, and we'll just go step by step through this process, and you seek your comfort level, what, what, wherever you want to get off the bus, you know, it's great with me. I would love to save you, but if you want to go all the way down, this is a picture of, of riding the bus all, all the way to the end of the line. So uh, the ten plagues leading to the Exodus are unpleasant revelations, but they show the amazingness of Scripture and the sheer mercy of the Lord. Thank you, friends. Let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth, the Word made flesh. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy, for your undying love, for all your efforts to reach us. We thank you for the reassurance, Lord, that we're not going to sort of accidentally slide into hell or something. Uh, you have us in the palm of your hand, and you're willing to show us our secret sins in the light of your face, your presence, your love, and your wisdom. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. We don't want to end up on this chart.